Hey, She Slays listeners. Before we get into the episode, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors, the Focus Academy. So you know chiropractic can help kids, but you lack confidence in your knowledge or communication skills to educate parents in your community. I've got a solution for you. The Focus Academy gives you the training and education to understand the why behind those wins and challenges you're seeing in clinic. They teach you how to perform a full brain-based exam, how to go beyond just the subluxation, but stay principled in your chiropractic approach and address and understand the consequences on brain development. They take a two-pronged approach. First, clinical solutions taught in a way that gives you full access to a deeper and more comprehensive understanding and breaks those techniques and approaches down into digestible and practical steps. Second, right now strategies you can employ wherever you are in your training. You'll learn how to seamlessly ask and answer the big questions in your clinical exams and re-exams and have it actually inform the whole child approach and care planning in a way your patients will understand. And since you're a She Slays listener, you'll get free access to the Focus Academy's Kickstart program. Just click the link in the show notes to get started on your journey to improving your practice. Hey, She Slayers, and welcome to another episode of She Slays the Day podcast. I am your host, Dr. Lauren Brunzlick, and today's guest is a wonderful, wonderful woman who is doing great things within chiropractic, and I'm excited for you to hear from her because she's awesome. Uh, she also is incredibly great, graceful. You know how like when you mess up with a patient or just someone, like, you know, you forget them, you ghost them, you, I don't know, something happens where you're like, oh my gosh, that is not my normal self, I swear. And then just as luck would have it, you continue to mess up with that same person. Yeah, that happened with Kita. So normally I'd like to say that I pretend to have my shit together. Notice I say pretend, I do a really good job, this facade of like, oh, I swear I'm organized. Um, and with Dr. Kita, nope, we just pulled back the veil right away. Like I had just set up, set up my Calendly scheduling and like didn't block off things. So she booked a time. I'm like, oh, I'm actually not available during that, even though my scheduling thing, I'm sorry. Then another time I had to cancel because I was super sick. I like got on and I'm like, um, yeah, my voice. And she's like, yeah, you can't record. So it's just funny because there was like three different things that happened and, um, I'm like, I swear, not all guests have to go through this rigmarole that you're having to go through. This is not my best self. I'm sorry. But she was so kind and loving the entire time. So that's how I know that, you know, she's a great person. <laughs> that's how I know she's a great person, not because of all the accolades that she's doing for our profession, but she forgave me three times and still came on a podcast. Um, okay, so what's happening in the world? What's happening? Well, not in the world. We're not going to talk about Russia or Ukraine because I don't, I don't, I don't follow politics. Um, my nose not good over there. I will tell you in my world, I had to cancel an afternoon of patience for the first time in 11 years and it pissed me off so bad. Oh my gosh. So it's hard because, you know, 10 and a half years ago, what would happen is I would just stay myself and send everybody home and then um, drive home on my own. And so it's not really a, a, an example of how bad our snowstorm was, although it was pretty bad. Um, it's more a, a story of like, this is what happens when you have a big team and they all live a half hour away. And, you know, you've got 65 people on the schedule and you're like, oh, you know, 
50 of them are going to cancel because they shouldn't be on the roads. But like, do I keep my staff for the 15? Anyway, so we ended up having to cancel and I was just pissy about it. Um, We'll say that our text system that we just started using last year was very helpful in doing it. Um, We've gone through three different text systems and, you know, living in Wisconsin, having to mass cancel for a snowstorm or whatever reason, emergency, you know, it's not something that you don't think about. Uh, We've almost had to do it. You know, there's been many times over the last 11 years that I've wanted to be able to send out a blast text message about a snowstorm. Um, And the previous ones just made it a pain in the ass. And it's probably part of the reason we didn't mass cancel. You know what? I actually blame my current text messaging system for being so easy to cancel people that I did it for the first time. So screw you, Sked. (laughs) No. It's a joke. It's a joke. Uh, I should also say this is not a promotion for Sked. Um, I'm not getting paid at all. I'm actually paying them. Paying not to talk about them. That'd be weird. That would be really weird. I'll pay you if I can talk about you on my podcast. Anyways, so canceled. You know, everyone goes home. Great. Yay. The roads are terrible. But, you know, I get home at 2 o'clock, 1.30. And for the next three and a half hours, all I do is just like, do I enjoy the snow day? Oh, of course not. Do I take this? Because my kids had a snow day. Um, Do I take this as an opportunity to be like, yay, bonus afternoon where we're all together. Let's go drink hot chocolates by the fire. No, I did not do that. I came home. Sorry. And uh, thought, well, what should I, what, what can I do? What can I work on to still salvage this day and feel productive? So anyways, just in case you were wondering how that whole like, Lauren, are you becoming less of a workaholic? Mm, it's happening, I think. I didn't end up working because I saw what my brain was doing of like, okay, you're frustrated because you're not being productive. Your inability to go an afternoon without being productive when the world gives you such a chaotic situation that you have no control over, you know, what if you did just rest? So I don't know. I I quote unquote rested, but I was pissy about it. And then at like four o'clock, I look out and I'm like, the roads are completely fine. We didn't need to cancel. I mean, the roads weren't fine, but it had stopped snowing. So anyways, really no no, uh, end goal in that story, except for telling you like, on my mission, working on it, people, becoming a better person. Are you becoming a better person? I hope so. Okay, so today's guest, we have Dr. Keita Vanderpool, and she is a chiropractor, but she's also a leader, a speaker, a holistic health and wellness specialist, inventor, entrepreneur. I mean, as you hear our conversation, like the woman is incredibly driven and motivated to change our profession and the world. And it's, it's very, very cool. Um, she has recently been elected to serve as the vice president of the Federation of Chiropractic Licensing Board, the FCLB for those who need that shortened, and appointed as a director of the National Board of Chiropractic Examiners. Now, during our interview, you will hear me go, what the heck are each of those and how are they different? <laughs> because I'm me. Um, On the Federation, she presents chairs, presently chairs the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee and Pandemic Response Task Force, and she sits on the telehealth and friends of FCLB committees. Dr. Vanderpool has a passion to serve the chiropractic profession and desires to make an impact in expanding the footprint of diversity within professional leadership. 
um, we talk a little bit about this and, you know, she talks about expanding the diversity beyond just race, which, um, you know, and into age. And I think that is something that I hadn't really thought. I mean, I've definitely gone on a soapbox. You've heard me go on a soapbox about it many, many times about, um, sorry, going to get offensive here to the 60 year old white male in the room. Um, I actually don't have one in the room. I was talking, uh, it was like a metaphor for like any 60 year old males that are listening. 50, you know what? If you're 50, I'll include you in it too. <laughs> this is why I don't get asked to speak because I'm just too offensive. Um, so anyway, we talk, she talked about that and how like she's trying to get students more involved, like trying to get the new chiropractors involved in this. So it's not just a bunch of chiropractors, male, female, different genders, um, who are making decisions, you know, but they've been in practice 30 years and maybe they're holding on to things that were relevant 30 years ago and they, you know, like whatever. So she talks about diversity in a, a much broader sense than I've thought of it, I've thought of it before between a or gender and race. She also brings up the big um, important fact of age. So her motto is do unto others as you would have them do unto you and be a kind human being. And I would say that just in my interactions with her over the last few months, she is nailing that. So let's, um, let's take a breath. Relax the jaw. Be aware of where you are right now, what you're doing. You're probably multitasking. That's okay. Let's all be grateful for people who are doing the work in our profession while we are head down in our, in our own problems, in our own practice, in our own finances and new patients and our kids and their soccer stuff and there are husbands and the dishes and all of that and in our keto diet. <laughs> um, thank you for the people who find time to, they, they make time. They don't find time. They make time to put pen to paper to take action on their vision of helping chiropractic expand and grow. Uh, as it so desperately needs to continue doing. Um, and it's not an easy thing. The things that um, these people who are playing, <laughs> playing with politicians and trying to get meetings and opportunities for our profession. Thank you so much for them and help, um, help us listen to this interview and find at the end areas where we can do more um, even if it's small, even if it's two times a year showing up to a, our state associations meeting, even if it's simply knowing the phone and the phone number or email and name of someone who we would reach out to who is making the decisions. You know, can we read a newsletter that at least informs us of things that are happening, whatever it be, however small, help us all do our part and find time to uh, contribute to the things that are important to us. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, crew, here's my interview with Dr. Keita Vanderpool. I hope you enjoy because it took months to coordinate because I'm a shit show. Welcome to the She Slays the Day podcast, Dr. Keita. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This has been a bit of a uh, process, us connecting. Yeah. But I believe that 
it was all for divine intervention that today we are just going to be both our highest selves to have a kick-ass episode. <laughs> so we weren't meant to do it back in November. We weren't meant to do it in December or later December, but now is our time. I agree 100%. Okay. So for people, you know, so like I saw that you were speaking the other day, I saw on Facebook that you were being interviewed by someone. Who were you speaking to? That was Dr. Bill Morgan, the president of Parker University in Texas. Oh, so no big deal. No big deal. Just talking to the, so do you, do you do a lot of interviews? I do actually. Um, I had quite a few, a couple of years ago, I was actually invited to, to go on your stage and speak to their audience of students a few years ago. And Dr. Bill and his wife, Claire, invited me to come down there. And I've known Dr. Morgan and his wife for quite some time. And I met him through one of my really good friends, Dr. Angela Salcedo, here while Dr. Morgan was practicing here in Washington, D.C., um, working for Walter Reed. So we had, we go way back, honestly. Okay. okay. Luckily, when I get interviewed, I just have to talk about, like, social media stuff. So it's not too, like, I'm imagining that the things, I mean, so let's back up. What is your, like, your, like, what do you do with NBC? So um, let me take you back to the Federation because how I was working yeah. with the board is through working on the Federation side and being the chair of the Board of Chiropractic here in Washington, D.C. So I began my tenure with the national board about 2012. Um, I became the chair of the Board of Chiropractic, I'm sorry, 2011. I became the chair of the Board of Chiropractic in 2010. And then um, that afforded opportunities to work with the national board, being a test examiner, because when you're, when you're a regulator, that opens the door of opportunity to work in the regulatory world and also the educational side with testing. So that's how I got my start with the national board. So I, I was you know, on the test examining committees, um, EBAS, which is Ethics and Boundaries Committees, um, where I tested doctors tested students to become doctors, their last phase of part four. Um, on test committees, they have doctors or regulators come in, to, they fly you into the national board headquarters where you actually sit with a bunch of other doctors and they go through this process of creating the national board tests. So that was really a highlight of, of my life um, through this profession of seeing, going from a student to a practicing doctor to seeing the other side of the fence where actually that's the that's the space where you get your license and the space where you actually um, test to become a doctor of chiropractic. So it's been a lot. It's been a wonderful journey um, through my processes of going through the Federation. And I'll just tell you one thing about the Federation is that I ran for office um, as the alternate director back in 2013 in California. And I'm always, I'm an ambitious person. Lauren, you're, you're very ambitious too. And you're a go-getter. And when I see something I want, I go for it. I may not know how to do it, but I'm going to jump in anyway, because I think that anybody can learn anything. So I became the alternate director of the Federation for Chiropractic Licensing Board back in 2013. And from that point on, my trajectory has been from going from the alternate director for district three to district director to the treasurer of the federation to the vice president now of the federation and while um, the vice president was just elected this past may in 2021 
that afforded me opportunities to work as a director on the national board. So now I sit not testing students anymore, but I have a seat as a director for the national board, along with being the vice president of the Federation for Chiropractic Licensing Board. So right, now, I'm already like, what is the federation compared to the national board? You just just in case you're new around here, I like to play the part of the, the chiropractor who doesn't know anything about much. And so I asked some kind of basic questions like, wait, I'm confused. What's the federation? All right, the Federation for Chiropractic Licensing Board, the FCLB, is an association of regulators. So basically, I'm the chair of the Board of Chiropractic in Washington, D.C. Every state has a regulatory board that regulates chiropractic. So where you're from, Wisconsin. Yep. So I think Steve Conway, Dr. Conway, may have been part of the Federation in some capacity, the National Board. But we're basically a, a an association of regulators. and so. We have five districts that we that come together um, to talk about regulatory issues, to see how we can um, promote best practices. Um, the Federation also has a repository of information for the bad guys. So, if it, you know, if there's if you needed to do a background check on a doctor and you need to find out who they are and if they've had any grievances, you can contact the Federation and we have a repository of information so we can distribute to the public, um, not the public, but to, to the actual state boards. And we also have um, a, continue, a continuing education repository called PACE, where we credential um, different programs to um, for, for continuing education. So there's a lot, lots of things that we do. Okay. With those. So like the national board makes sure that you like you did, you learned what you did in school. Absolutely. The federation is kind of like are you following your state's rules. Absolutely. Okay. Regulation. It makes sense. It makes sense when you explain it. But I was just like, wait, I'm so confused. <laughs> which one do you like more? Do you, which one do you like? Like <laughs> which one is a bigger pain in the butt? <laughs> They're both. A pain in the ass, but I yeah. will say this you because it's a pain in the ass but in a good way because it's just us two girls don't worry about it okay great <laughs> yeah because when you think about it the, you need policies to set how you're going to practice the scope of practice and so when i think about it as a chair board of chiropractic i said hmm how can i create better access to healthcare in washington dc and i work in an underserved community so i wanted to make sure that laws were created to help support access to care but also protecting the public protection. So I had to make sure both were in um, sync. And so we were able to offer the community educational resources. Uh, we used to have open houses um, to inform the public of who we are and what we do. We're not just putting a hammer on people, on doctors of chiropractic, but we want to have this open door policy where we want you to feel comfortable that, um, that we're here for you, um, in the sense of making sure you're practicing in the right way, but also our main job is public protection to make sure that no bad guys are coming in and trying to harm patients or our constituents. And so I was able to create some laws. Um, my, my team and I were able to create laws that were actually beneficial for creating better access to healthcare in Washington, D.C., for the particularly the underserved population here. Do you, so in that process of, you know, I feel like we live in a very uh, dichotomous 
world, right? Where it's like either I completely agree with the, the law you're trying to put into place, Kita, as a chiropractor, or I completely think you are what's wrong with this profession. Like, do, do you run into that? Because I feel like out here, um, those of us that are not in the politics and the regulatory side of things, it really does feel like there's chatter about how much disagreement happens in some of these behind closed doors and like that that's why you know we the profession isn't progressing is because we can't all get along like is that have you seen that or is that like rumor well let me tell you from my perspective as the board chair of the board of chiropractic in washington dc we have a pretty diverse board number one and i think that we have a diverse group of people with diverse ideas then you can come up with the best solutions. Mm -hmm. And I think that when you have um, a homogenous group and most of the boards around here, let me just be really frank with you. Uh, most of them are, are white males and um, some of the, there's not many females either sometimes in a regulatory world. So when you look at who is in charge, a lot of men have egos. And I think those egos kind of propel some of the regulations that come about. Um, but the great part about you as a chiropractor on the outside is that looking in is that even when we create policies or policies that may become regu regulation, the public has at least 30 to 45 days to co make comment on particular policies that are being set forth. So you have a voice. And if you don't like something, you can always come to one of the boards, um, one of the board meetings, because we do have open session meetings. And that way you can have a voice of what you want to see happen. And sometimes what we'll do is we'll call on public chiropractors and say, look, we need a committee of people to do A, B, C, and D to help support us or task forces. And so that's a way to also have a voice and get your foot in the door for regulation. And so right now, as you speak about that, um, the Federation, we're looking for ways to be more inclusive. Um, I'm head of the Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Committee. And like I said, for any board that you sit on or anywhere you sit on, you want to be able to represent, um, have a re representation of the people that you represent out in the, in the community. And so, again, when you have that diverse kind of mindset and you're open minded, I think it leads to uh, creating better policies that are fair, um, but also protect the public. And I think you can do both. There's, we've had, since I've been a chair, I, I, I would say that I always take the feedback of my team and we may not agree on everything, but we always come to a consensus where it's good for everybody. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important because, you know, life is, life is, life is short. I think we should live life to do what's in the best interest of our profession, but also what's in the best interest of public protection. And it's not really hard to do when you really consider if you really are about doing your business, about love and, and protection, you're going to do you're going to make the right decisions and make laws that are equitable. You know what I mean? Right. Right. And so, like, um, when you talk about the lack of diversity that is on a lot of these boards, like, you know, it, it, I want to say it kind of makes sense for where we were type of thing. I feel like women weren't super represented. And I mean, and you're a double minority, you know, and so like, especially the black community within chiropractic is underrepresented. And then like right now, okay. So right now they say we're like 50, 50 ish for females and males graduating. Right. Do you, do you have any, no, there's, I think there's, I think with the national board just came out, there was more females at this point than males. So women are coming up. 
So what I'm hoping is that what happens is, is we get through, we kind of get to that empty nest stage of life. Um, and then it's like, okay, now how can I serve? <laughs> because like, but do you have a hard time getting males or females in that first 20 years of practice to engage and help in any way? Are they just too busy and head down, like working on their practice and raising their family? Are you speaking in terms of becoming a regulator or on the regulatory side, or what are you speaking? Well, no, you said like, you know, you, you try and get the community of chiropractors to like weigh in and things like that, you know, as far as like representation, do you feel like people actually, when you throw it out there, like, Hey, we want to hear what you have to say on this. You can come help contribute to make this law. Do they, do you find that chiropractors actually want to, or do they kind of just want to complain? I think a little bit of both, Lauren, honestly, because when you're when you're grinding out there, you don't think about anything unless it, unless it affects you, unless a law or policy affects you directly. That's when people complain after the fact. So, again, we let our licensees know when they first come before the board, they see us and we do an interview, this and the other. We have open door policy. Look, come to these meetings. We want you to be engaged. We send out information to our licensees to keep them engaged and informed. And it's up to them to, to, to grab the, grab the horn, blow by the horn, so to speak, and contribute. And so I am one who's really proactive and I love to get the feedback of individuals. And so one of my quests or our quests, even with the Federation is looking into is how can we um, engage more students and young doctors to be more engaged in what's happening out here with policy and regulation. Even with the national board, they're doing outreach. And so even the ACA and ICA are doing more, out, more outreach. So when you look at all these organizations who are looking for diversity, because diversity is not just color. Right. We look at your sex, your educational background, your socioeconomic status, um, what you can contribute, your skills, sets and talents and abilities. Those things are what we look for. What kind of talent can we attract to help um, promote and move this profession forward? And so, like I said, I'm a very progressive thinker, um, very motivated to engage other people, get them excited about what, what I do as a, as a regulator. Because again, when you're able to have a seat at the table, Lauren, you're able to create things that you want to see happen and create some kind of uh, something that's good. You know, it could be either way, but I look for things. How can we make this better? And so, and again, I think the young mindset, the young the students that are coming out, they have brilliant minds. They have, they're very um, social media savvy. They're very research oriented when it comes to the internet and stuff like that. So however we can utilize this population group and or others who can contribute, I think it'd be way much better for the profession moving forward. So how are you going about engaging the students and the younger people, the younger new graduates? So having opportunities to speak at different um, universities. Um, um, I, I had a chance, an opportunity to speak with SACA, um, the student AV, ACA. Um, and so I wear many different hats, um, you know, so I'm able to engage on all levels with students and, I, and I'm a mentor. So students have come to me and texted me and called me, um, even as a preceptor, uh, uh, a location to, as a preceptorship location, I'm able to take in new doctors who, uh, who are trying to be licensed their last quarter in school. They are able to come here to kind of get a, I guess, a look of what we do in our office to see how they're going to want to move forward. And so I had an opportunity to work with this one 
preceptor that was from um, Palmer College. Um, and she was amazing, very smart, very proactive, um, had a lot to, to, to offer, even my practice, so to speak. So, and had great ideas concerning regulation and what her concerns were. So again, any way I can reach out to students, um, when I go to the national board, um, when I, um, how do I say this? When I go to my um, different states to actually go to different sites, I'm able to engage students there. So I've been pretty proactive when it comes to engaging students over the last, well, probably 12, 13 years now. Awesome. So when it comes to individual states, so is it, I always forget, is Washington really liberal or is it Oregon with like the scope of practice? Oregon. And then the other one's like really strict, right? I'm yes. always like, one of you is really strict. One of you is really liberal. And then we've got like, you know, how do we have, I mean, I guess we live in the United States of America where we are allowed lots of, but like when it comes to a profession like chiropractic, how do we have such diversity amongst the states of like what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do? Like, is this, and you may not know the answer to this, but like, is that a similar thing that happens to dentists and like OBs like, or MDs? Like, do they have such a wide spectrum compared to our profession of like what they're allowed to do in one state versus the other? That's a very good question. And again, um, regulations are based on the people who sit at the table. Mm -hmm. And some of the laws or some of the regulatory language is antiquated. Like some policies and regulations have not been updated in over 15, 20 years. And so you have people like me who are coming on the board now, even my, my colleagues that are on the Federation in the different districts, they find out that each every so often they do a sunset review is what they call it, or a review of the regulation, regulatory language. What can we update? What do we need to, to dismiss? What do we need to get rid of? And so when I came on my board um, in Washington, D.C., we were still doing an examination for students for license for people to become licensed in Washington, D.C., and so when I came on, we was like, I was like, we need to get rid of that because we could be sued. There was no standard. There's no um, psychometrician to help evaluate the soundness of the exam. It's subjective. And we needed something that was actually up to date. So we ended up taking the national board part four as being one of the requirements. And even North Carolina now has jumped on board with that. So now you see that, you know, you have people that sit at the table that say, look, how can we update these laws and regulate regulations so that it's so that it makes it not just easier, not easy for people to come in, but how do we make it? How do we update it so that we're that we're current with the current the current situation in society today? So, again, I can't answer the question for the MDs and how they do things. But again, is who who is sitting at the table at your state board and who's creating these laws? But at the end of the day, those laws are not just created by, those regulations are not just created by us. We can create them, but it still has to go through a process with the governor and or mayor or city council to pass those, those regulations, uh, those policies, so they can become actual regulations. So there's a process, Lauren, and some things take a long, long time. Some things don't. Sometimes, you know, the powers that be don't like some of the language you put in there, like prescription or things like that, if you're a chiropractor. So a, a lot goes into it, but a lot really depends on the higher ups where these policies are shifted to the next 
plate on the table and they make a decision on how if they bless it or say no rewrite that okay so i i love your um, i mean you've called yourself a go-getter i you know and i can tell um so I was on a board in my small town, you know, right? Like just a nonprofit board. I joined, I was, gosh, when I joined, I was like 32 and like this female, like just like entrepreneur who's going to like come and help like with ideas. I have ideas. Um, and I was really kind of candidly told like, that's cute young buck, but uh, I've been on this board 20 years. We've tried that. That didn't work. Um, like the whole like, oh, we tried that before and it didn't work thing is probably one of um, the most annoying things ever. But like, how has, how, how are things received when you come in? Because it sounds like you come in and go like, I think that this is antiquated and we should rethink this. And how, how is that? been received um when i came in as a member of the board there was just um doctor one doctor and myself and so it was easy for me to come up with ideas because i was let me just be straight with you so for three four years before i became the chair of board of chiropractic i always came to see these meetings i wanted to see what was happening at these board of chiropractic meetings either they were canceled or something happened and they never happened and so one day I said, I'm going to become a chair of chiropractic. I made a declaration. Two years later, I became the chair of chiropractic. And because I had all these ideas of what I wanted to do, Lauren. And so I say this because people like you who have thoughts and ideas that are going to be, be progressive, some people are intimidated by that energy. Mm-hmm. And gaslight. And they try to tamper you down and hush you up, so to speak, because you're too ambitious and um, so I didn't have that problem because when I became the chair, we were looking for other people to fill those vacancies that were on our board. And so when we were able to fill those vacancies, we had a whole team of people. I had six goals I wanted to meet when I became the chair of the board of chiropractic. And we met all six of those goals within a year and a half. Why? Because they had a great leader, me, thank God. I'm, you know, I'm <laughs> and when you have people that motivate people and excite them, they want to be on that train of success with you. Mm-hmm. So it's unfortunate that many boards, and even sometimes when you're in higher levels of, um, of organizations, sometimes my ideas are tempered down. And sometimes I'm, I'm, you know, told to sit in my chair, so to speak, and, you know, just hush up a little bit. But you know what, Lauren? I'll have my day, you'll have your day, because that kind of attitude of gaslighting only shows other people's insecurities and it only shows that they're not ready for the next level. It only shows that they don't want to be progressive. They want to be, um, what's the word I'm looking for? They want to discriminate against talents and abilities. That's going to really move things forward. They're afraid of progression. And so when you, when you see it for what it really is, then you're like, Oh, it ain't just me. They're not ready for you yet. Mm -hmm. Even I look at you on social media. A lot of people aren't ready for people to <laughs> seriously. And when they embrace it because they're like, oh my gosh, I wish I could do that. And how can I be more like Lauren? Because you're out there and I love your candidacy. I love your honesty. I love how you 
um, present yourself, you're honest and authentic. And a lot of people are afraid of authenticity. So I get it, what you say, because I've experienced some of those similar things in other boards and things that I've been a part of. And so, again, some people just ain't ready for you, but. Well, and, and it's hard too because like, obviously that happens. Like, so obviously there are people who are just straight up like intimidated by innovative, progressive thinking. But there are some times where that's not what's happening. And so like, I feel like I personally really struggle to put it through the filter of like, okay, is, is that what's happening? Are they gaslighting me right now? Oh, cause, okay. So I get like very girl riot, like really fast. <laughs> so Kirby, who you got to meet at the conference, um, will be, let's say we're watching a commercial. Okay. And I will pause the television and I'll be like, I, oh, hell no. Can you believe that that they just had that actor say that to his actress wife? And like, that is the most misogynistic thing. And like within seconds, Kirby will be like, hold up, hold up. Like, no, 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 no. Slow your roll. And he'll be like, if she would have said the same thing to him, it would have yada, yada, yada. And I was like, Oh, okay. Yep. 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 You're right. And so I feel like sometimes I do have a hard time just being so, um, like almost defensive of like, yeah, okay. Maybe you're right. Maybe that was a bad idea, but it's hard. We're all learning, right? We're all just putting it through filters of, hey, should I be affected right now? But I think also that people see a reflection of themselves. And so a lot of times when you take things in, you're seeing it from your your view and not from a whole view. Some, my friend used to say, Kita, you're monocular. You need to have binocular vision. And I'm like, oh, okay, what does that mean? And then I was like, oh, so I'm seeing it through my filter of my past experiences, what I've experienced, what I think is egregious, what I think is insulting, what I think, blah, 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 blah. And so when you know yourself and when you get to know, even spiritually, because this goes deeper than just the physicality of it all, Lauren, honestly, when you know who you are and you know yourself, and like I said, when people gaslight you or whatever, you have to also think, is there a lesson to learn in this? Honestly, because am I seeing something in myself that I need to correct and check and recheck and, and make some corrections and adjustments? And sometimes it is that, or sometimes it's blatantly exactly what you see. So... I think that even for me, as I grow within myself and even spiritually, I'm learning to, learning to step back and say, look, Kita, how do I not take this personally? And I've been attacked a lot, trust me, in my profession, with regulation, with all kinds of things. Um, but at the end of the day, I have to be true to myself and say, Kita, what's, what lesson is there to learn in this? Give myself some grace and some love and say, you know what? that person is having a, that person's struggling. So I'm not going to get pissed off and mad because they're struggling. I'm going to pray for you. And so when you think of it in those terms and receive it in a different way, then you're able to change the, change the channel or turn the tide, so to speak, so that you're not full of anxiety or feeling like you're being accosted and feeling like you're being gaslighted and things like that. You know, and when people see that, when you start being really true to yourself and who you really are, then you're not offended anymore. Yeah. I just also think that telling someone I'm going to pray for you is like the biggest mic drop move, passive aggressive, like, you know what, Bill? 
God bless you. I'm going to pray for you, motherfucker. <laughs> Absolutely. Because again, when you're coming from a place of love and mm. other people just bad, 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 negative, you're, you're, vibrating, you're vibrating on a different frequency and everybody, everybody ain't there. And so that's why I say too, I don't get pissed off when patients don't come in. I'm like, look, yo, something may have happened. You could have been in an accident. I'm good. I'll see you when you get here. I don't take it personal anymore. I used to be like, oh my gosh, they're late. We're going to charge your fee, but what? Nah. Because things happen in people's lives that you may have no idea of. And people are struggling psychologically with all kinds of things too. So I have to remember what space are they coming from? And I can always maintain my frequency because when I stay here, I'm not subject to coming down here to their level. They have to come up to me. So when you think of it, spirituality or frequency and what people are going through, we are a three-part being, mind, body, and spirit. So I, I, I take the approach of my physical is the ego. Like, yo, I'm not feeling that. I'm going to be pissed off. That's ego, right? Mm-hmm. So when you learn to kind of step back and say, you know what, they going through something, I'm good. I'm good. So you said that when you became the chair, you had six goals. I won't make you try and remember all of them. Uh, but what were some of the goals that you like brought into that position with you? So I wanted to make sure we had newsletters. So we started a newsletter. We did open houses so that we can um, engage the public. We also created the first workforce capacity report that basically gave um, a synopsis of what was happening in the nation, where the chiropractor is located. Do they have any chiropractors in underserved communities? Um, and really find out what was the demographics of chiropractic within our region, I mean, within the District of Columbia. So that was the first step done in the nation. Um, what else did I do? We did a bunch of stuff. Um, those are the three major things that I can remember. And then the other uh, thing that we tackled was uh, how do we create better access to healthcare? And so um, I was kind of wearing two hats at the same time because I wanted to make sure that policies were in place for public protection and access. But on the other side, as a chiropractor, I wanted to make sure that uh, we were able to somehow incorporate uh, Medicaid chiropractic being a paid benefit for for the constituents in Washington, D.C. So I was kind of wearing two hats, but I wanted to make I kind of I separated those to make sure that I did not commingle the two while the chair of the board of chiropractic. So um, I had a team that I created um, on the other side of the fence where as a chiropractor, I had a team with Dr. Angela Salcedo, Dr. Um, Jay Greenstein, um, and um, John Falardo from the ACA. We were able to sit in front of city council, talk to the mayor about our, our plight to really, um, how do we uh, create access to the underserved community by being a part of, you know, the Medicaid plan. And so yeah, that's able- what I was gonna ask. So like when you're talking about access to healthcare, um, is it like making sure that chiropractic is a paid benefit of Medicaid? So as a charter board of chiropractic, I didn't do that. I wanted to create policies for access to care, which is public protection okay. access, right? But on the other That's side of the- like, as- Okay, sorry, too fast. So on that side, public protection means like making sure you have chiropractors who are are good at what they do and not hurting people. License, like going exactly. up drunk and- Exactly. And access to healthcare is still a public protection thing because if someone is coming to you for back pain and I'm a chiropractor and this is what I do under my scope of practice, I'm still protecting the public by, by performing a healthcare service that's going to help support my constituents. All right. Yeah. 
yeah, so that's what we did. Um, and so anyway, um, and Dr. Uh, Jacqueline Watson was our executive director at the time. She was a powerhouse too, very smart um, and very ambitious and very supportive and really kind of schooled me on really how to be a regulator. Um, so I really appreciate her service with the Department of Health. She was amazing. Um, she's since gone up the chains and she's like the, I think, deputy or something like that of the Department of Health now. But she's she's an amazing woman, too. So, again, you have all these wonderful people who have these great backgrounds um, who support chiropractic and support, you know, chiropractic. <laughs> yeah. So not asking you to name names here, obviously, but because um, I'm just not an individual person, but what would you say with your experience are some of the biggest hurdles that are getting in the way of chiropractic kind of elevating to a level that we, you know, hope it to get to? I think in the past and even some ego and not ready to let go of certain things and the inability to be accepting of people's diverse ideas. You have straight chiropractors, you have those who do uh, an array of other modalities. However, when I look at it today, because the future, the Cairo Congress is now working on the future of chiropractic, mm-hmm. where we're really trying to come together as one voice now, which is I, I commend the committees and all the hard work that's being put into that. I'm part of one of the committees also on that. So now the organizations have all the organizations have a seat at the table to be able to provide their input of how we move chiropractic forward. We may not agree on everything, but what are the core things that we can agree on? What we agree on is way more powerful than what we disagree on. And whatever you do in your practice is your own business. But as one voice, we're now working on a project that should be ready, I think, within the next two and a half years or so. Um, So that project, I think, is going to really help our profession be able to speak and move as one voice. That is so difficult. Like even the chiropractic schools are completely different. Like the school that I went to compared to, you know, so I went to Northwestern Health Sciences in Minneapolis and like, you know, not good, not bad, whatever. But like I talk to students who graduated from like Sherman or life. And it's just like, it really seems like there's such, such diversity in the education of the chiropractor, which really shapes like, so are we doing enough? And by we, I'm not doing shit. Um, Are you doing enough? No. Um, are we doing enough to get the schools in alignment and like congruent? Like, cause doesn't it kind of start with, cause like a lot of students come in just and like how they end really depends on what the school told them they believe and what they do and what they should do and what they shouldn't do. And so it kind of comes back to like, how can we still have so much diversity amongst the schools and what's happening? And is there a goal of getting that less diverse or does that like, is that not what we want? Do we want more diversity? Like, do we want multiple schools teaching different things? Because then it gives people the freedom of choice to go. You just talked in a really big circle. Can you find the question there? 
Yeah, and and so here's what I will say to you: um, the CCE or the Council of Chiropractic Education, their role is to make sure that each school is is abiding by certain competencies. That's that's the cream of the crop right there. The CCE, they got the guidelines are: you go by these guidelines, or we're going to take your accreditation. Boom, right? Now, each region, like I went to school at Life University in Marietta, Georgia, very diverse school. We had. We had so many different techniques we could learn, different programs. The school was large. Further out west, you know, when you went to Northwestern, is a smaller school. And so I think a lot of that is a reflection of the doctors that are teaching you the philosophy of the school. I think diversity is good. I mean, because, you know, we had Sid Williams and he was all about life force and stuff like that. The basic premise of chiropractic is the same, Lauren, no matter where you go. The basic premise is the same. And I think if you have that foundation, you can expand or retract based on that. And I think it's up to it's incumbent upon the doctors that are teaching that they teach the students exactly what they need to know to be to be able to uh, provide the standard level of care that they need. You can go be up and be above and beyond that because the national board requires that you learn a standard so that you meet the standard competency. So we know that you're able to go out there and be a doctor of chiropractic. Everyone's going to have their own spin on things of how they practice. But I think that um, each school has the um, responsibility of making sure their students learn exactly what they need to learn to become a doctor of chiropractic who knows at least the standards. Okay. Does that make sense? No, it totally does make sense. It, it, yes. And it kind of goes with what the committee for chiropractic progress is that what that committee is called yeah it's kind of you know uh christy hudson was on a mm-hmm. few weeks ago and she is also a part of that, that. um i want to be a part of that um all my friends are a part of it i want to know um you know and she was kind of just again talking about like yeah we don't have to all practice the same way in order to believe some of the most important same things. So I get that when applied to the schools of like your spin on it, you know, can be different and people can seek that out. But as long as we're all teaching, you know, these, these basic things. So let's go back to chiropractic like we're in so many wonderful committees i'm like so is this be the nbce portion can we talk about like where you started like making helping test questions and like helping pass (laughs) so let's go to the national board okay first of all side note i think we talked about this in florida and you do you remember wisconsin about 10 years ago where they tried making their own exam I heard about that. Yeah. So it's gone now, thank God. Um, But, you know, just to talk, you know, you were saying how like DC was doing it and you were like, we could get sued. And you talked about the reasons you get sued. Oh yeah, that was going on in Wisconsin. So basically I graduated in 2010. I was supposed to graduate in November. And if said graduating in November, I wouldn't have been able to qualify to take the state licensing test until January. But in January of 2011, the state of Wisconsin decided that they were going to make their own part four boards, basically. 
and you are going to have to go and sit in a room with some Wisconsin, sorry, probably white male chiropractor in his 50s or 60s or 70s. And they were going to decide what you needed to know. And they were going to decide whether you were good enough to practice. And so Northwestern, God bless them. If I ever say anything bad about them, the one I like, they don't deserve it because they saw the writing on the wall that that was going to be a mess. And so they basically said like, show of hands, who's even thinking about practicing in Wisconsin? And so there was like, you know, a good chunk of us because it's Minneapolis and it's right there. And they're like, uh, you graduate in October. So like, because you had to like apply. So if we graduated in October, you could take the final jurisprudence test in December and you wouldn't have to do all this. And so there was this whole group of us that like, I don't know how they made it legal. Hopefully like Northwestern's like, Lord, um, you know, we still had to like do stuff. It's not like I had a month off, but somehow like we like, they're like, yep, yep, yep. You got your hours in great. Um, And so we graduated early. So we didn't have to do it. And the people like there were chiropractors that were delayed over a year in getting their license because they were only holding the test twice a year. And if you failed the first one, you couldn't read, you know, you couldn't take the next one until July. And it was, yeah, it was just, I think that's part of how Steve Conway's um, organization, because Wisconsin has two organizations. And I think Steve Conway was a part of like making the second one saying like, we got to get this test out of here. Like, this is not, this is not okay. But anyways, there was no question in that. That was just a side note story. Um, So when you're, when you're participating in like deciding what, what questions are important, how do you even begin to go like, all right, well, they've written down they're a doctor, but now we got a test like, are they a doctor? And we have like an hour to do it. How do you go about deciding what's important? What's failing? On the national board? Yeah. They have this whole process, Lauren. It's, it's so incredible. And I can't even go into details with it because it's just so, so much. But I, you know, like I said, you have this whole, a bunch of doctors that get in the room. We have these books that we go through and we, they pick out questions for us to look at. And they say, and then it goes through another process of a psychometrician and they do all this kind of numbers and statistics and all this and all that. And they decide what questions go in and what questions don't go in. And so, um, so that's test committee. Um, I can't give any other, other information, but I'm just no. saying that they have a, a really intense process of what happens to make sure that test is psychometrically sound. And so, and I didn't even realize all these words and what they meant in this, that, and the other day. I have a statistician, a psychometrician. His name is Igor Himmelfeld. Amazing, smart, freaking What's genius. What's a psychometrician? He's the guy who studies that question to see if it measures up to be a good question, a hard question, easy, or one that's a free fall, so to speak. And... It goes through this, it's like doing statistics on stuff. And that was my worst subject ever. <laughs> but <laughs> it's like doing statistics on questions. And um, it's a whole mathematical process that they go that it goes through. And so I, I think it costs about what, $1,800 or something like that per question to, to create a, a question. 
it's some some kind of number and don't quote me on that but um and i'm still new to the national board so i'm still learning some things but um it's it's expensive to create questions and so and it goes through this whole rigorous process and so i have a lot of respect for everyone who sits on those test committees who works at this the headquarters at national board um, and all those leaders and persons who they are in, in the supporting staff and personnel who actually run this machine, it's it's pretty freaking incredible. And I'm honored to be a part of it, to be able to see firsthand what's being done. Because as I said, Lauren, as a student, you see, oh, the big national board, oh my God, I gotta take the national board, it's so freaking scary. And then I'm in practice, passing the national board, taking the test, and actually a director. So the the trajectory of my career has been phenomenal in seeing the growth of myself and how, you know, it's like the birth of a student to like its life cycle. And I get to see it all the way through. And it's really exciting to see that. And it's exciting to see that we have a nice board of directors who also represent the um, population of doctors that are out there now. But not only that, you have friendly faces. We are a friendly, open, um, just a really good group of people. And I remember growing up and seeing the National World people, everybody looked scary. It was mm-hmm. like all, it looked scary. And um, it just, and like you said, even with, with you, with the Wisconsin board, you said, look, I got to sit for these old white guys. It's going to determine my fate. They like me or don't like me, that can determine my fate. There is no measurement of how good you are as a doctor when you put your subjective subjection in it. That's why you need a psychometrician mm-hmm. to help take all the subjectivity out of it. Is this, is this person going to actually practice the very as it's the standard of care? Is that person going to be able to provide a standard of care that is acceptable to be a doctor? So that's now, the- yeah. You said you did testing too, right? Oh yeah, I test. I, I went to all thirteen schools, so I flew around the whole United States. I went to every school. I tested um, different, you know, at different schools. And as, like you said before, Northwestern teaches way different than Life College in um, East and West, and Palmer and in Florida. Every school has their differences in how they teach. Even technique-wise, technique is pretty much the same, but um, how they learn and, and what they're taught and what they say. It's it, there's a big difference in um, from school to school, but have they met those standards of care? Did they complete every competency? Yes, they all do it. They have a different way of doing it, but they all come up with the right answer. So the diversity that would, is that would be really interesting to go from one school where you know you got. 150 students and like you definitely see a pattern in the way they're answering the question and assessing and you're like okay 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 you got there and then you go to another school and again just to see a completely different pattern and be like huh I'll be damned but you got there um what are some of like what are some of the, like, I don't want to say like the biggest mistakes that people make, but like, tell me something funny about be like it just seems like it would be a kind of entertaining uh thing to be a tester. I would love to test one weekend just to like, be like, <laughs> you're so nervous. <laughs> yeah. You see so funny things and God bless these students. And I, like I said, when I, when I was in those rooms, I was always having a friendly face and they tell you to be stoic and, and stuff like that. And you have to maintain because you want consistency across the board because that's paramount. But when you're able to even just smile, 
without saying anything or nodding your head and stuff like that. Give the students something that they can feel like, oh my God, they're not just sitting there trying to fail me. Mm-hmm. A face goes a long way. A nod goes a long way. Even smiling with your eyes goes a long way without even saying words. So, but you would see some students that would come in there so freaking nervous that they that they they just stand still and just have this blank. It's not funny because I've I've seen it before. I, I remember taking part four. I came in there and I was like, look, I'm gonna pass this test. I know I'm gonna do. I failed maybe a couple of stations, but you know what? I didn't let that get me down. I was like, next, keep it moving. Yeah. Um, and I was very intentional about passing these boards and doing some things. So, um, but you see a lot of, of, of some interesting things with these students that come in there. Um, so yeah, but it's very, very secure. I will say that. Very yeah, secure. you know, I said that it, it would gotta be funny, but actually like I could see, you know, like people getting so nervous that the question's about like the right knee and they're checking a right elbow. And you're just like, as the examiner, just being like, oh my God, no, 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 no. It's a knee, not an elbow. What are you doing? Like, yeah, I would fail. You guys would like, I would like not even make it through the testing. You'd be like, um, you pointed to the, like, you can't, you can't point. Like, I was just trying to help her. She seemed nice. Yeah, that that's strictly forbidden. <laughs> All and, right, fine. Fine, you won't be on the board. Single, Lauren. You have testers, you have those, those um, what do you call those people? Those fake patients and stuff that are in there too. They report, they're, they're, they report to their superiors. So mm-hmm. everything is so secure that if I, as a doctor, did something that was cheating, so to speak, or helping a, a student, then that's their job to go to their person and that person goes to the next person and that person goes to the director and say, look, Dr. Vanderpool is director, da, 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 da. So there's checks and balances. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I'm trying to cheat. I'm just trying to help her. <laughs> Again, I would get kicked out right away. Like it wasn't cheating. It was just being helpful. Um, Funny thing, and I, I will say this one funny thing that you have students that are going there. The, te- the technique center, the technique is, um, you know, just you know, it's just like I'm a little dyslexic myself. So sometimes you have people that sit up on the wrong side, and at the last minute they, they get the right side. So you're like, oh my gosh, thank God! In my mind, I'm like, oh my god, thank God they did that. Uh-huh. So like that happened, but you know, um, for the most part, like I said, it's a very secure test. Um, we try to make the students feel as comfortable as possible before they even take the test. Uh, Dr. Oots will go in front of the audience or whoever's, you know, one of the directors, myself included, will go in front of the students to talk to them about, hey, look, we hope you pass this test. Thank you for taking this test. We're excited that you're going to be new doctors. You give them some encouragement so that you take away some of that anxiety. And that really is supportive of, you know, the students, because we want good students to come out to become great doctors and continue to learn. And as you were talking, Aaron, um, you're talking about policies and creating policies, policies, policies and things like that. If you were interested in becoming a regulator, I would say reach out to the state board, find out what you need to do to become a regulator, to become a part of the process. And I know like it's out, we're, we're appointed by the mayor here in Washington, DC. You may be appointed by the governor. A lot of time it's not what you know, but who you know. And so, Make start making those conversations because again, when you look about across the country, we certainly need people who are going to be great regulators. Because I will, I'm going to give up my chair at some point. I'm going to need someone want to succeed me, who's doing what I'm doing or beyond what I'm doing. 
And you want those good ideas to come in because the profession may be changing regulatory wise. A lot of things are coming down the pike. COVID stuff is coming down the pike. Policies are changing. It's going to affect how we practice in our future. And so we're going to need people who are going to be progressive in their thinking of how we can really support our profession moving into this next era, whatever it may be. Oh, it just, it's a lot. Yeah, it, it really, okay. Should have asked this probably about 40 minutes ago. What is a regulator, like compared to like a board, like is a state allowed a certain number of regulators? What? So it has like, our board has five members. Okay. Two, I'm sorry, three have to be chiropractors. The other two can be a someone, um, someone from the Department of Health or a community member or stuff like, or something like that. So you will look on who's, who's the um, chair of your board of chiropractic in Wisconsin. I need oh, to find it. I yeah, I totally know. Yeah. Um. So <laughs> my, point, my point to you is, even if you don't know them, if I, I see you. Know. I should know. That's what your point is. Right. No, not everybody knows because not, not many people know who the, the board of chiropractic is. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. state. But it's incumbent to find out who that chair is and who's on that board, because being able to connect with them can, they may have, when, when a seat comes up or available, they may be able to talk to the boards and commissions of that state and say, look, we have a vacancy. I want to nominate Lauren to be part of the board as a member. They put your name in a hat. You have an opportunity to put your name in a hat. And then when it's time for them to uh, process or uh, approve someone, you're already down in the pike for that next position. Mm. So, like I said, when I became chair of the Board of Chiropractic, I was nominated by someone. And then each other year I was asked, do I want to continue to serve? And I said, yes. So the boards and commissions, um, each state has a board and commissions committee um, where you're able to say, look, I want to be part of the board. How do I become a part of that process? And that's another way to do it also. But like I said, each state is different. So my is to create more diversity amongst boards in the United States of America. I think Washington, D.C. is probably the most diverse board. We had white, black, Asian, Latina. Um, you had bisexual, gay, lesbian or whatever. And so I think that having, like I said, a diverse board really it speaks to the population that we're serving. And I think that diversity is so important in, in as far as creating policies that are going to be fair, equitable, and just having different ideas that come to the table. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, um, but again, DC had probably has the most diverse board in the nation. And so again, like I said, diversity is not just color, but out West, you may not have it many black people or people of color, but you have people of different backgrounds, ages, and things of that nature. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's a way so, so you're a part of so many wonderful foundations. What is like if you had to pick three of like Kita's goals? So like not necessarily like what are my goals with the NBCE or is this or is that like what are some of your three biggest goals that you have for yourself to impact the profession over the next five to 10 years? The first goal is to be my authentic self and really be who God created me to be. A lot of times I kind of like tap down a little bit, so to speak. Um, you can't tell because I'm super ambitious, but I feel in my spirit that I could be, I can do more and say more. 
The second thing would be to increase the diversity within our profession. And that means how can we get more young people, people of different backgrounds? Um, how can we create a more level playing field? Because that's important when it comes to creating these policies and regulations. Mm -hmm. And a third thing would be, hmm. I don't know the third thing, Lauren. I just want, I want to see this profession come together. I want to see it speak as one voice. I will say the future chiropractic. I want us to make sure this, this program that we're, this, this thing that we're doing is rock solid and that people know like anywhere you go in the United States of America or even across the world, they know what we stand for as chiropractors. Speak as one voice. That would be super, super important for me to see that, see that through. Yeah. So those are my goals within the profession itself, I would yeah. say. Yeah. Small goals, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. It's cool. It's fine. Um, okay. So then final question is when it comes to getting involved, what's the baby step? Like not, I want to be a chair and be going to my capital and having extra ton of extra responsibility, but like, what is the baby step for people to get more involved at a regulatory level? Well, don't discount, I'm gonna be the chair because I said in the declaration. a lot of work, PETA, I'm not, I don't, I don't want to what do that. Want, okay, so if you, wanted to, if you wanted to get started within regulation, um, the first thing is going to your state board to see who's, on the, who's, who's sitting at those seats, who's on your regulatory board. Reach out and say, look, I'm interested in becoming a part of a committee just to get involved, get my feet wet, how do I do that? Start going to some of the meetings. Mm -hmm. And that way you can kind of hear what, their, what the language is in the dialogue, in the dialect. And it's, it's not, in, don't let it be intimidating because you're super smart anyway. And you as a practicing chiropractor have a lot to contribute because you're out there abiding by those rules and regulations. So you think to yourself, how can I make that rule better for chiro for the public? How can I make this twofold? Public protection and making sure people have access. And if you have those two things in mind of how you can create that, that thing, then you can be a part of it. You might be to be able to be a part, part of a committee, be able to promulgate some language that's going to be supportive in that, in that arena, and even volunteer your time. Um, so that's one part. Because in order to be on the federation, you have to be a part, you have to be a regulator. That's the first thing. In order to be, to be a part of the national board side, you have to come through either the state board, which is a reg as a regulator, and or sometimes it's who you know, because a lot of a lot of these doctors who are testing doctors have been trained. They've been in this game for a long time. Um, some people may be recycled out. They may be they may need new doctors to come in to help support in other areas as far as becoming a tester and even reach out to the national board. Say, look, I'm interested in becoming a tester. How do I do that? And knowing people to connect you to other people. So you and I have a connection right now. I know you. If you're interested in something, I can say, look, I got a friend named Lauren who's interested in doing A, B, C, and D. How could she get involved? I can she say- She a little bit too much. She's a little bit of a wild cannon, uh, but- <laughs> Okay, but, but, I lied. I said that was the last question, but I actually just have one, another question that what? might open a whole can of worms and I don't mean to, but I have to ask it because you're here. Um, okay, so you talked about diversity is like one of your main goals. 
Um, so this isn't the actual question, so don't get excited that it's an easy one. Uh, do we have diversity coming into chiropractic college? What do you mean? Do we have, so like we know, we talked about how like, yep, even more than 50% are female, but do we have a diverse, like diverse races, diverse incomes coming into chiropractic school? Yeah. So when I came in life college, it was like 10 of us, 10 African-Americans or African that came in. After I left life, or as I was matriculating through, each class had more African-Americans and people of color, Latinas and, you know, Asians and this and the other. So it is progressing in that, in that regard. The question becomes now, are the minorities that are coming into school matriculating, are they graduating and are they getting licensed? That's the bigger question. The bigger question is how... Um, if, and if they're coming to school and matriculating to school, but they're not getting out of school or they're not passing their boards, that's a bigger question because now you still have a decrease in the workforce of minorities if they're not passing their boards. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it totally does. So more diverse, there's more diverse populations coming into school, but the question becomes, are they matric are they graduating and are they becoming getting their license. And does chiropractic have, um, oh gosh, what's it called? Where like you would go and work in a lower socioeconomic area. Um, like is right. What was that called? Where you like, you get forgiveness on some loans or like that we have that program, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. there. Okay. Ever. No, it, I'll say yes or no. No is because the federal is not a federally mandated program for chiropractors. They do it for dentists, for doctors. Mm -hmm. and it's not a federal program. Now, your state can actually create their own program to support that, that effort. We actually, I tried to do that here in Washington, D.C. and almost got it, but uh, it, didn't, it didn't go far, far enough. But it's not a federally mandated, mandated program. But like I said, each state can decide if they want to say, look, you work in an underserved community. Let's go ahead and do this for you. You know, I think that's a, a matter of who you know, how much lobbying you want to do, how much work you want to put into the, to the game. But I work and live in an underserved community here in Washington, D.C., Southeast Washington, D.C. And so um, even though I apply for forgiveness of I went, here's what I do, Lauren. I still apply for the application for it and let them tell me no. So that's what I used to do. I like that because I just, you know, you've got this student who graduates with hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt and I picture, you know, they, they want to make money. They want, they have to make money. And so like, I picture it being very difficult, even if they came from an area that's underserved, you know, lower socioeconomic like not wanting to go back because they're like, well, those people can't afford chiropractic. <laughs> like I'm going to go into this suburb and just continue to expose. And so then it's just like, it, it really does come full circle to that, making sure there's access to healthcare. Like it's just, there's some, there's some interesting things in this. I don't know. Maybe, maybe empty nester Lauren will get involved in politics. We'll see. Well, I think you should. Let me just give this one tidbit because it's, it's a burnout. It, it's been a lot. I, like I said, I, We've lobbied for Medicaid parity here in, in Washington, D.C., and I lobbied for 12 years for that to happen. And so even though I'm here, um, it's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of work, Lauren. And it becomes a fact of you give away a lot of care. Uh, we get paid 
pretty decent with the Medicaid um, program here, but it's a lot of work. And so you have to think about yourself. I used to work a lot for free and I got so burned out. I'm like, well, how are we going to live, work and, and be happy in DC if I can't even make a living here as a chiropractor and keep right. my people? So it became, it becomes a lot. But for me, we are a giving, loving and serving profession. But you have to also think about there comes a time when you must take care of self because all that giving and you, when you go home to your husband or your wife and you don't have anything to give to them, that's taking away from the joy of being in existence. So, yeah, it's a lot. And I've been, I've, I've enjoyed it tremendously, but there's a lot also that I give of myself and I become burned out quite a number of times within this profession. <laughs> there's one thing about chiropractors is they are very rarely short on being willing to serve and give. So yeah, you've got a bunch of wonderful, wonderful humans uh, in this profession. So, oh, Kita, thank you so much. This this was, um, this is helpful. This was, I always feel uncomfortable talking to someone who I really know nothing about their world. especially when they're like, it's one thing if I'm talking to a non chiropractor, like, but it's like, it's, it's, it's humbling to talk to someone like you who does so much behind the scenes. And I just have no idea about any, and I'm just like, eating my bologna sandwich and complaining. So, so thank you. I appreciate you having this platform for me to really discuss this because not many people know, and a lot of doctors want to know how to get involved. And I appreciate the question because we do need more people who don't know who are interested and you just jump in, Lauren, you just jump in, you do it for everything else. And the next step is you've treated, 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 patients, patients, patients. Now, how can you serve on a higher level? And I always ask God, what can I do that's going to really support the bigger picture of it all? I've, I've practiced for 20 something years and now I'm to the point where how can I reach a larger audience and make a bigger impact? And how you do that on the other side of the fence, where you create laws, policies and things that support how we practice. That's where you should be right now. You still Dealing with a puppy right now. So like, you know, maybe a year. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> where are you most active? Yeah. Where, what social media platform are you most active on? Where can people keep up with like what you're doing? Facebook right now, but see, I'm trying to be a slayer like you, like trying to yeah. get that social girl. I'm, I'm trying to be like you with, when it comes to TikTok and I love your stuff on Instagram. So my goal this year is to be more internet savvy and more social media savvy. And I plan to do that with your help. Excellent. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll find some conference that we're at. And we'll, we'll give you a tutorial. Okay, good. Okay. So we're, um, so Facebook is Kita Vanderpool. We'll have that below. What is your Instagram? Is it? I think it's Kita Vanderpool again, Dr. Kita Vanderpool. Yeah, I think. There we go. We didn't get too great. There we go. It's my name. It's my name. That's my <laughs> Oh, Kita, thank you so, so much. She Slayers, um, you know, at least maybe like if you're a student, check out what's happening with SACA, you know, just find out when you, with your state, 
who's your board? Who would you, if you got in trouble, who would you want to be calling right now? Like, you know, if you're upset about a rule, who would you call? Uh, just so you have their name. That's one step. It's a baby step in the process. So until next week, She Slayers. Bye. Bye. Hey, She Slayers, are you looking to get your team off the phone and streamline your front desk so you can spend more time doing what you love? SCED has exactly what you're looking for. They will automate all your appointment reminders, missed appointment reminders, reactivation campaigns, allow you to have two-way texting with your patients. Plus, they have a very cool app that your patients are going to love. The app alone saves chiropractors tons of time because it gives patients the flexibility to move appointments to a time that works better for them. Don't worry, you won't lose control of your schedule because you'll have access to all the parameters that keep you still in control. Plus, there's overbook protection, so your schedule won't get out of hand. SCED was created by a chiropractor for chiropractors, so you can rest assured that you're getting the absolute best system for your office. Dr. Eric Kowalki is committed to the chiropractic mission, and he works closely with his developers to always be innovative so that we have the best system available. If you're hesitant to switch to SCED because you already use something else, let me tell you, it's worth every penny. Plus, mention that you heard about it on my podcast and they'll give you a discount. Seriously, it is a game changer. Don't wait.